I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. Today, I have the most amazing guest, someone who I've only known for a short period of time, but God, I love this woman so much already. Jamie Hess, at one point in time, was living the party life in New York City. She was a rep for a nightclub, partying hard, but now she is one of the world's top wellness leaders and influencers. Jamie Hess has this incredible program, The Big Ask. If you haven't seen what that is all about, she is empowering women to take charge of their health and their wellness and to move away the things that get in the way of them feeling happy within their own skin. Jamie, that's just one of the things that you do. Welcome to the show. You're incredible. The work you do in this world is amazing. You inspire me. So welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. Thank you so much, Siri, and thank you for having me. And honestly, there's something so magical, and it's not woo-woo, but there's something about energy and people's energy because it is so remarkable how you and I jumped on a Zoom our first time and I felt like I knew you forever. I adored you. And that can only be chalked up to kind of a spiritual alignment and energy. I totally agree. And I actually haven't told you a little story about your incredible mom. So everybody, Jamie's mom, if you have heard of the most extraordinary woman in my opinion, Joan London, who was uh, the lead on Good Morning America, gosh, what was it, the 80s all the way up to 1999. Well, my mom, Jamie, was for 14 years of her life married to a guy named Frank Gifford, a Hall of Fame, New York giant, and we lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. Now, I remember they were having a Christmas party, and I was welcoming people at the front door. And there was your mom, Joan London, who I thought was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, I never missed a show, even as whatever I was, a 12-year-old. But I just remember her being not only the most beautiful woman in the world, but also the kindest. So we have that connection there. And then my mom ended up going on Good Morning America and doing an aerobics class to like teach people about aerobic dance. How cool. And I'll never forget, she said, oh my God, Joan London was so encouraging and I was so nervous and she said how great it was. So I didn't tell you that before, but when I met you, I thought, no wonder. So there was an energy there before, but you just, You know, I I remember our first phone call, I called to just ask for some advice. And you so openly, like, I know how busy you are. You've got your QVC show. You've got your wellness coaching. You've got two kids. Um, But you were just incredible. So, Jamie, please share. Can you tell us a little bit about 
your journey from the New York City party scene to now being one of the top wellness influencers in the world? Well, it's so funny because, you know, so often our, our traumas and our darkness is what uncovers our light. So my story started in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I have this wonderful mom and Joan London, of course, a leader, an icon, a trailblazer, the breaker of glass ceilings for women and a wonderful mom to me, but a lot to live up to. And I got to say, I'm, I'm jumping to, to a little fast forward moment, but when I did reach AA <laughs> later on in life and I reached the rooms of 12 step recovery and it was time to get sober, um, I remember hearing people's really horrible stories about some of their traumas. And I thought, man, what's my excuse? I had a good upbringing. Where do I get off being a drug addict and alcoholic? And the answer is, it's okay for us all to have had our own struggles that made us feel uncomfortable in our own skin. And you don't know what anyone's going through on any given day. And so for me, my life was lovely and idyllic, but there is something that I interpreted in my, my growing up that told me I'll never be good enough. And it, no one told me that. It's just the lens through which I interpreted the world. And I just had that teenage angst, which I don't think I'm very unique in. And I was a free spirit and I fell in with, I don't know, I don't know if I'd say I fell, with, fell in with the wrong crowd. I found myself. Yeah. I found myself with hot pink hair and my tongue pierced and on the floor of a nightclub and a rave and all the things that happened in the nineties. And what it led me to at the end, there was a lot of fun, by the way, and it was a wonderful for a short period of time. But what we always say in recovery is it's fun and it's fun with problems. And then it's just problems. Mm -hmm. So when you hit the fast forward button and I was in the problems phase, I was still very young. I was in my early twenties, but I was cooked. And I was working in the PR world in New York City and I was working in nightlife specifically in gay nightlife. I was doing a lot with the LGBT club scene at the time. And it was very um, sparkly and glittery and fabulous, but also um, there was a lot of darkness. And I just felt comfortable in that corner of the darkness. Um, but eventually I knew it was time to crawl out. When I recovered, when I found the rooms of 12 step recovery and started my journey over there, what ended up happening was, and this happens, I think for a lot of people, I found fitness and wellness and the boutique wellness scene became my nightclub. And I found the same tribal energy that I had found on the dance floor of a circuit party. I found that same energy on the floor of Barry's boot camp with these like-minded people that were all celebrating music and rhythm and, and fitness and wellness and sweat and energy. And I just reinvented myself from a party girl into a wellness fanatic. And it was just a hop, skip and a jump. And so even though I had this job in corporate PR and I kept that for many years throughout my twenties, I was a burgeoning wellness influencer. And in my later twenties, I just thought, I think it's time to pick a lane. And I, I started to go voraciously after wellness. And that is what started my platform as a wellness expert in the media and as a one-on-one -on -one coach. Okay, that's just extraordinary. And what I love about this, Jamie, is I feel like sometimes people go down a certain path and they're like, well, this is my choice, so this is where I need to stay. 
And there's something about like, we can't break that identity because that's what we chose, but that's so not true. Like you can make a decision and say, I don't want to live that life anymore, but all the qualities about it that I love, the tribe and the passion and everyone, you know, caring deeply about something, you just shifted that to fitness and wellness. But we can't pass the part, how did that happen? Like. I also have a question because you know I'm a horse lover and I know you were like a junior Olympian. Yeah. Equestrian. I mean, amazing. So how were you doing that at the same time as all the New York City stuff? How did that work? Or the was answer, that a different time? The answer would kind of blow your mind because, and it's not a safe answer. <laughs> there was a lot of the darkness and the craziness happening at the same time that I was pursuing my path as uh, an internationally competitive athlete. The horses saved my life. If it weren't for the horses, I have no idea where I would be because that was the one thing I cared about that kept my feet on the ground enough to stay in my ambition and my pursuit of my sport and my passion and the animals and the things that I loved. And that mattered to me so much. But there were many times when I would come straight from the nightclub to the horse show and get on my horse and it was not safe looking back on it, but I, I muddled through. But if it weren't for the horses, I don't know if I'd be here to be perfectly honest. So that was my path. I was a, I won the um, Washington International Horse Show equitation finals in 1996. And then I got the silver medal in the Junior Olympics in 99. So it was my teenage Yeah, it was my teenage years and that was my sport. Now, fast forward, by the way, a few years, I got sober the first time around. And how did that start? Like what, what made you decide I'm getting help? Well, I'll tell you a story and it was kind of the breaking point. Um, It was, I was about 23 and it was 6 a.m. It was a Tuesday and my alarm was going off and it was mocking me. It was personally attacking me because I had not yet been to sleep. And I remember sitting and staring at it. It was antagonistic and it was so representative of just reality knocking on my door. And I remember the light coming through the windows, through my blinds, and kind of casting shadows over every everything. And I looked around and there was just people everywhere. It's a motley crew of folks in my apartment that I hardly knew. And I had to be at work in like an hour. And I worked in a fancy PR, one of those glistening towers in New York City that just every day felt like a fashion show. And for me, it felt like I was putting on a costume because I did not feel like I deserved to be there. And I did not feel like I belonged. But I put on my, you know, ruffled top and my little black pants and I um, collected myself as good as possible and I trotted out of the apartment. And as I kind of clip clopped down the street, my Manolo Blahniks, you know, just playing this role, I remember thinking to myself, you know, never again, we're not doing this again, never again, never again. And that was my mantra. But I knew it would happen again because it always happened again. Because left to my own devices, I did not have the fight in me to to stop. Right. And so I was standing at the top of the subway stairs about to go down and people were pushing past me and I just 
I had like what they call that white light moment. I was like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I flipped open my little Nokia phone because it was that time. <laughs> and I called a friend, um, my friend Rex, and he had gotten sober a year before and he was the only person I knew that was sober. And he had said, hey, Jim, when you're ready, you know, I'm here, give me a call. And that morning, something in me was ready and I called him and I remember he asked me, okay, I'm gonna come get you today at the end of the workday. I'm gonna bring you to this meeting that I go to. Can you not use between now and then? And I said, I think so. And I couldn't do it. Yeah. So when I deal, Siri, with women now, that are aggressively in their food compulsions or their behavioral compulsions or their addictions, whatever the case may be, I know what it feels like to have your brain hijacked yes. and how hard that is and how much you deserve help. And there was a lot of helpers along my way that helped me crawl out. And that is why I double down on accountability and support because I don't believe that anyone should have to crawl out from these things on their own. It's, it's too much. Oh my God. You're just, this is hitting so close to home because my sister for a lifetime, 39 years, has dealt with alcohol uh, addiction and bulimia. And it's slowly, and it's okay to talk about this, um, slowly been killing her to where, you know, she nearly lost her life a couple months ago. She's finally in a really uh, kind of a closed down place that deals with bulimia. But you're so right when you say nobody should be left to fix it on their own because I don't think they can. And how you say the mind is hijacked, it's like, so, so what are your first steps, Jamie? And I know you are doing the most beautiful and powerful work because I've spent a lifetime watching my sister and I can help so many other people but for some reason, I just can't help her. What is it? What are the first steps that you take? Because there are so many women that, that I've heard saying how you literally saved their lives by guiding them to thinking a certain way, changing certain behaviors. What do you do? So you have to start at the beginning, right? So when I take people through kind of my five pillar program, I literally look at it uh, akin to the chakras, right? So we talk about first like the root chakra. And if you're not familiar with what chakras are, if you've ever been to a yoga class and you've heard them say, oh, and your chakra, your heart chakra is open or it's blocked. It just means energy centers in the body and there's seven as they go up our body, right? And, and they do mean something. It might sound woo woo, but they're grounded in, this is since 1000 BC, right? So it's a very old, uh, you know, spiritual way of looking at energy centers in our body. So the first thing I do is I take them through kind of getting grounded and that's the root chakra. So I do kind of a simple self-assessment. We kind of unpack their why, right? Because if you don't, a business that takes no regular inventory goes broke. If you don't know what's going on in your own systems, if you don't know why you're doing the things you do, or if you're too scared to take a look at that, yeah. that's very disempowering. And then the second thing I do is we start to build new healthy habits. I kind of talk about like ha hack your hustle muscle, right? You like learn to achieve, to, to be a person who can do hard things. And, and life is changed in the micro moments, like small choices matter. 
So one choice at a time, I teach people how to make some new decisions that are going to change some of these daily habits. And that, if you're looking at from a chakra approach, would be your solar plexus, your power center, where your fire is. This is where you dig deep within and you start to make change. Then the third thing I do, and this is all about, my program is called The Big Ask because it is about learning how to ask for help. So the way that I finally made the change in my life was obviously, I just told you a story about asking for help from my friend Rex later on in life. And my addiction reemerged with bulimia, by the way, which is exactly follows the exact same pathways in the brain as drug addiction. It is just the exact same insidious beast. There's really no difference in how it feels. Yeah. I went and I got vulnerable and told my whole story and asked my husband for help because I knew I couldn't do it alone. So when we talk about kind of buddying up and, and looking for accountability, that would be your heart chakra, learning how to truly connect, and also your throat chakra, which is learning how to speak your truth, finally getting it out. Because the scariest thing oh, is sitting in the secrets. You are only as sick as your secrets, and it is oh. always better to walk through the fear than to sit in it. And then I kind of bring them into the, the last two phases, which are kind of being a well-oiled machine. And that's kind of your third eye chakra. So you have intuition, you can see the bigger picture, concentrate on what's important. And then finally you kind of become limitless and you tap into your crown chakra and then you're your highest functioning self, but you have to take the baby steps to get there. And the most important piece is bringing someone else in on your journey. I fully, fully believe that to my core. Oh my God, this is so powerful. First of all, thank you for that. I wish we could take each one and spend, like basically I want us all to come do the big ask because yeah. this is powerful. These chakras, so is this, did you learn this through, is this how you did it exactly? And you're just sharing that. So fundamentally, you know, so again, why the chakra system is the chakra system is because it is kind of almost basic common sense, right? We get grounded, we build, we then we look our third eye, we lift our gaze from the from the in the in the moment, we, we lift our gaze from our footfalls, like the struggle bus of what we're doing in the moment to the horizon to what's possible. So it's just this natural cadence of life. For me, I got sober through 12 step recovery, which again, is pretty much an anonymous program. So I don't really talk a lot about the ins and outs of it. But the reality is, it is a blueprint for living that is replicatable because it's just about raising your hand, saying, I'm powerless over this. I admit it's too much for me to do alone. I think I'll let someone else help me. And then there's that steps one, two, and three. The middle steps, four through seven, are like, all right, let me get to the root of what's going on, take a personal inventory, turn it over and believe that someone else could help me. And then the last steps are, I'm going to live in a place of like prayer, meditation, paying it forward, getting out of my own head, and like being of service. And that's just kind of like a good blueprint for life. So I modeled my program after that. That's extraordinary. And I feel it's that speaking about it. What was it? How did you say it when you live in your secrets? What did you say? That We're was only as sick as our secrets. I mean, how true is that? How true and everyone is that? has one right now. Every, every one of your listeners listening right now, you got something. You got something on your mind that if you told someone else today, it would take the power away from it. Ah. So if I can leave you with anything, open your mouth, your throat chakra today and get a little brave. Hear that everyone, so powerful. And you know, I'm thinking back to college when I had severe OCD, nobody ever spoke about 
anxiety. Nobody ever spoke about what this meant, you know, me flicking lights on and off for an hour straight. And because I never spoke about it, I felt like I was just a crazy person. And I was almost suicidal because I couldn't live with the shame, the, the, this thing, this heavy burden of what I was living, the secret. And now that more people speak about it, like that freed me. To speak about that freed me. So everyone, listen to Jamie. We are so blessed to have this extraordinary woman on the podcast today because you have lived it. You have been there. You have triumphed. How hard is it, Jamie? I mean, when I hear that you fell into bulimia, but you got out. Like, for people with eating disorders, sometimes it just seems like this impossible thing to overcome. Like, how did you do that? I know it's all these steps, but was it mostly the, the support? And I want to talk about your incredible husband because I know there's, first of all, I want to, you to share that whole story, but what do you think was the one thing that helped you overcome that kind of falling off the wagon in a sense? Speaking it to other people because the, every single day I wanted to stop doing it and I would tell myself, no, 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 you're going to find the resolve within yourself to stop doing this. And I would fail and fail and fail. And that felt even worse because I, I was doing a behavior despite myself and it was right. so frustrating so not only did i know it was damaging to myself and i would look at my beautiful children and all that i had to look to live for and right. and and then this just horrible insidious monkey on my back and then i started talking about i first it was my husband and then i reached out to a couple of friends and professionals and a couple different people that and by the way some of them weren't even able to even give any help or assistance but me making the phone yes. call and speaking my truth and getting out of my secret cured me. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. Cause I know, you know, I have a lot of athletes in my community and there's, there's a lot of issues with, with eating disorders and with body image and a lot of us, and you know, this, it's, it's something that it can be almost a plague sometimes, mm -hmm. especially in, in my sport triathlon, but this is such incredible advice and it's asking for help. It's speaking your truth. It's sharing your secret. Jamie, I know that you met your husband, George. I'm, I, you're going to tell the story because I love this story and please tell me how you met and how this man played a big role in changing your life. Well, it's so funny. So, um, yeah, and I, I think I started to allude to this earlier. There's this one little fun snippet of my story, which is that I had started getting sober in my early 20s and I had what some in and out, right? So a lot of people get sober, then they're chronic relapsers and it's just, you're, you're, you struggle. Right. So through my 20s, I had some struggle. And uh, I decided at one point I had relapsed. I was in my mid 20s. And I'd relapsed with prescription drugs, which by the way, if anyone thinks that prescription drugs are any better than street drugs, they're worse, all right? Because they're worse. Um, the Adderalls of the world and all the things that people make these allowances for in their head. And they just take you down. They just take you down. And so I, um, I went to treatment and I decided I got to get out of New York, of PR for a little bit. 
-hmm. not to what we call in 12-step recovery, not to pull a geographic, not to run away from my problems, but to give myself a little time to get my sea legs underneath me without being in the thick of things. So I went back to my sport for three years. I went back to riding. I was a professional. I was riding and training and showing. I lived in South Florida for two years and LA for a year. And I woke up one morning in LA and I said, huh, I'm done. Yeah, this is great. I'm ready to go back to the real world. In my heart, I knew, and I came back to New York. But when I say I came back fresh, I came back fresh. Like your girl was like, okay, we're <laughs> like, this is like, we're back. Okay. Like I had no, but you know, I was just like no job, no relationships. Like I was just kind of fresh back, but I was, but I had me. Yes. And that was a good start. And so I kind of spent that first year getting back into like the PR world, into the work scene and all of that. And I was just really doing me and I wasn't really interested in dating. And I was representing one of my clients is a, a DJ named Tracy Young. And she's a big DJ in the circuit party scene. And she's a big remixer for Madonna and all these. And she's a great music uh, you know, icon, Grammy award winner. And I adore her. So I was trotting her around to all the parties. And one day we were walking home from an event. I had been there red carpeting her and all that jazz. And we were just chatting. We walked like 40 blocks together just to have a talk. And she was like, why don't you have a boyfriend? And I said, cause I'm happy. You know? <laughs> like, cause I'm not looking for anyone to mess that up. And she was like, I have the perfect guy for you. And uh, I was like, okay. So she said, I'm going to set you up on a blind date. And I was like, all right, Tracy, I just told you I was happy. But I think that was the key was that Dr. Phil used to say this. Relationships aren't 50-50, they're 100-100. Yes. And I was 100. I was finally 100. I was yes. in my own truth. I was. I didn't need a man to complete me. And that's where he was at that time in his life. We were both kind of coming around the corner of tough pasts. And we met. And from the night we met, I mean, we literally, that we were engaged in four months, got <laughs> married on the one-year anniversary of meeting. We got engaged on a treadmill at Barry's Boot Camp. He proposed to me on a treadmill. Oh my God. And um, and we got married, but it has been the most unbelievable relationship. Um, 10 years of mutual respect. Uh, we're 20 years age difference. Um, you know, I'm 42, he's 62. I love that. We have a, my wife and I have an age difference, not nine years, but I think yeah. that's great. I love that. We never even notice, but. Yeah. I always joke, you know, yeah, it takes that long for the, for a guy to actually become a grown up. So, lucky <laughs> but but what I will say about him is that, um, you know, when you can really geek out on life and business and success and all the great things with your partner, like we geek out on it together. Yeah. We just drove home from Maine together yesterday. It was a ten hour drive, and we just he helped me. I was writing stuff for one of my keynote speeches, and he worked with me on it on the messaging for like eight hours because we just and I help him with his business we geek out on this stuff together and I think when you truly find a partner that makes that you make each other the best version of yourselves yes that is when you find magic oh my god I mean it's just the best story I love following you so you have your at New York City Fit Fam yes NYC Fit Fam my Instagram NYC name. sorry I, I like everyone everyone says that but just okay. so people can find me <laughs> NYC Fit Fam Tell everyone about that because this is really kind of inspired by your relationship with your husband. It is. 
the genesis of NYC Fit Fam was that engagement. We yeah. got engaged on the treadmills at Barry's boot camp. It became a public facing story and people started to follow our journey. And I was like, we had started this little NYC Fit Fam account because I we had this this dual fitness journey that we were loving to share. And it wasn't, it didn't really have a place on just my account because I was also sharing all my PR stuff and I represented McDonald's at the time. So it was like a very weird, you know, <laughs> my clients were like LinkedIn and W Hotels and General Motors and McDonald's. And here I was sharing like fitness and <laughs> nutrition. So it was kind of weird. So we were like, we'll start this account together just as our own thing. And all of a sudden people were following it that weren't like my mom, like not my friends and my family and outsiders. And I was like, oh, people are following this, that that's kind of cool. We were never trying to be influencers. We were accidental influencers, Siri. We're not millennials. I was not trying to be an influencer for a living. I was the one running the influencer campaigns for Fortune 500 brands like McDonald's and General Motors. But I do think that when you approach everything with a strategic business head, I have kind of that you know organizational pedigree of having come from 20 years of corporate. And I just saw I had lightning in a bottle. I had this really cool Instagram account that took off and I had like 20,000 followers at that time. Now we have under over 150,000. And I just said, I think this is a business. And then it became, then it led to me becoming a, you know, media pundit and a podcaster. I have a podcast called Off the Gram. And then eventually I had just been speaking to people one-on-one -on -one for years and giving accountability and motivation coaching. And when I actually started working with my business development team and they were helping me write my book, the proposal for my book, they said, I'm sorry, take me back to the part where you have thousands of people in your DMs who you're coaching, but it's not like a business that you've monetized or created or made more, more formalized so people can find you. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is what I'm doing. I guess I am a coach. And that's when I started formalizing my coaching practice. Amazing. What advice do you have for people that are doing just that? Like they're doing something that's making a big difference. Like how do they go from that space to creating something that can become a business and something that they can actually make money from? Yeah. I mean, look, that's the, the gazillion dollar question, right? Everybody wants to know like how to be an influencer. And what I always say is like, you might be asking the question wrong, right? Yes. How do you own your influence? How do you, because everyone's an influencer, right? If you have six people following you, you're, you, you have the potential to influence those six people. How do you own your authenticity? And how do you, because if your passion shines through, people relate to that. I think that's what resonated for me. I've always shared my life, warts and all. I've never said I was perfect. In fact, quite far from it. You know, I've always shared the, the down parts as well. That's what as I love parts. so much about you. That's because I can see myself in you. And I think that's so important. Your authenticity, your realness draws people to you because yes, we can be drawn to influencers and we're like, oh my God, I wish I could be that. But it's people like you that I see myself in you. Yeah. So what you're doing in your life seems possible for me. So I love that. And I think that's an absolute key and such great advice for everyone here. Like be you. Yes, be you. And we used to call it in, you know, PR land, aspirational attainable, right? So it's like fun. People like to look at like pretty pictures, but like if you make it too pretty, it just isn't real life. Right. I think spend less time worrying about the things that people tend to worry about the algorithm and how to do Instagram the right way. So you can, catch the wave of the numbers and the algorithm. I look, I don't know how to hack that. If someone else does, God bless. But <laughs> for me, 
content is king. I care about what I'm doing, but I also make it creative. I also make it everything I do. I try to make programmatic. Like if I'm working with a brand, I'm like, okay, you want me to just do like a one-off post to talk about your new vegan pizza? Okay. But what if we made this a whole 360 thing? And what if I did like a, a cooking party and I did an Instagram live where we did a recipe and I interviewed your founder and we talk about, and we bring in like an RD and we talk about, you know, being vegan in a smart way. And like the, the sensitivities around soy, like a gazillion different questions that I have for any brand could be brought in and could be a way that I could educate my followers. So I look at my, my account as like a place people can come they can have fun, they can learn about new things, they can get inspired, educated. And I try to include my brands on that whole journey, you know? So, I mean, even I do these events in my backyard, they're called Backyard Burn. And it was just, it started as a way to meet my neighbors during the pandemic. I moved to a new place, to Pennsylvania. I started doing little workouts in my backyard. And then I thought, well, huh, I have something here. People across America are trying to figure out a way to connect with their neighbors during the pandemic. Yeah this is an opportunity for brands to come in and in a non-exploitative way say we can help you during this tough time like this is how we're and so i had them out in my backyard and i had these brands participating and then most recently i brought in flintstone super beans vitamins and i said let's do a kids club together so moms can come get yeah. their workout in and they can bring their kids and put them in like the kids zone and we had a bounce house and we made content for flintstone super beans and everything i do i'm thinking how can i make it real and fun and experiential and programmatic? And then how can I bring my brands in in a way that adds value to them? And how yeah. can I over deliver? So yeah. I don't look at it as super transactional. I'm not the person to give you advice on like, well, get on these platforms and dashboards right. and you can get brand campaigns. Like, I don't really care about that. That's not how I do it. It's all about value. Yes, and you're adding value all over the place. What is it that, you know, how, uh, Tony Robbins calls it your why. Like, what is your why? And how does that inspire you every single day? I truly geek out on wellness. Like, this is not an act. It's not a business. It is a true passion. Yes. And I love it so much because I've been very unwell. And I know what it feels like, how good it can feel to be well. When I talk about wellness, what I mean is radical wellness. And by radical wellness, I mean... It is not just diet and exercise. It is mind, body, soul. It is financial wellness. It is time management. You know, it is showing up to places on time to yes. mitigate stress. Like all of these things to me are wellness. So when I am talking to people, I'm speaking through a lens of, I don't do it perfectly, but darn it, I do it better than I did it before. And it feels real good. And I'd like to help you do that too. And it is truly, Siri, that simple. Oh my God, I just love it so much. And I feel like this is going to make everyone listening so much more comfortable about saying, you know what, I can't. I just have to take that first step. It has to matter to me. I have to understand why I wanna do this. And what would you say for people that really feel stuck? Like, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, well, I'm not an athlete, so I can't get fit. Or I've, you know, eaten so unhealthfully my whole life. Like I can't change that. It's too late. Like what is the first step that, that someone like that can take to just move in the other direction? Just take that first step. What would you recommend? Well, and I know this isn't accessible to every single person, but I would say get a coach. Yes. And the reason I say get a coach is 
anecdotally, every time I've ever, I have coaches, okay? Every good coach has coaches. I have many coaches. And every time I've ever been on a panel with other successful women, mompreneurs, every time I speak on a panel and people kind of always ultimately ask us like, oh, what's the one thing you all do? Or, you know, if there's one thing, everybody up there has a coach. Yes. And these are high-performing, successful women. And I have a coach that coaches me to be a better coach. You know, I have a coach <laughs> for a lot of different pockets of my life. Sometimes you need somebody to give you a little structure. But the difference of what I do in my coaching practice is that halfway through my program, I then teach you how to set up that accountability framework in a hyper-local way. So that when you graduate my coaching program, you're not back to square one, you have something set up that's hyper-local. Now, when I say hyper-local, I mean, it could be your husband, it could be your mom, it could be your best friend, getting somebody else on your accountability team. The two reasons people don't ask for help. Number one, fear of being judged, ego, right? Oh, I can't stop, you know, I can't stop eating sweets. I can't stop doing drugs. I can't stop. I can't fix my time management issues. I'm stuck in a cycle of whatever, whatever. They're scared of being judged. Yeah. The second reason is they're scared of having to follow through. Once you ask for help, you have to actually have to do yes. the damn thing. But if you can get over that and understand, okay, these are my blocks, but I actually do want to push past those two things. So it's worth asking. Yeah. Then at least you're on a track forward. But when you were left to your own devices, I got to tell you, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And if you're struggling today and you do nothing about it, you will struggle tomorrow. That's right. And it's almost like the short term discomfort of having to ask for help, having to talk about, you know, what you're not proud of. That short term discomfort. Yeah, that's hard. But what's way harder, which we often don't think about, is how much long term suffering if you don't ask for help, if you don't do something about it. So, you know, just get brave, just get courageous, talk about it, ask for help and take that first step. I want to pivot a little bit to talk about because, you know, from what I see, you're such incredible parents to your two sons, right? How, how old are your sons? Three and six. Oh my God. About to be seven. Amazing. And they're gorgeous and adorable. What would be, and I, I, I hate these questions actually, your top you know, parenting advice? And I want to direct you a little bit because I feel like a lot of my clients that talk about their struggles with parenting, one of the questions I ask is how much of your path have you shared with your children? I know they're six and three, so they're pretty young right now. But as kids get older, what do you recommend about shielding your kids from the struggles that you had or sharing the struggles with your kids? What is, what is your perspective on that? So, yeah, my kids are young to talk about the actual, you know, right. the drug struggles. However, they are very much on board with our pursuit of wellness yes. and we make it cool and we make it fun. And I have people tell me all the time, oh, my kids won't eat healthy. Well, first of all, this is what's for dinner, okay? Like, sorry, yeah. <laughs> number one. I don't. What do you mean they won't eat? That's such like a. I think that's such like a a, a new agey. Oh, they won't. You know, we're just gonna make them seven different dinners till we find what they want. Mm, that's not how I was brought up. I don't know about you. So we eat a healthy way in this family, but it is also not this force-fed thing. They think it's so fun because we do it as a family, and so the same way that my husband and I geek out together 
on the healthy living stuff, the kids, like, we always have them on a weekend, you know, pull up a stool, dad's making like healthy granola. Let's talk about what's in here and what's the healthy parts. Oh, like, let's get the kids, get their hands dirty and get involved. I mean, my, my son, one of his first words was kale. They love it. They think it's so <laughs> cool. But I also gave my older child a choice. I said, here's a deal. Daddy and I are plant-based. And what that means is that we, you know, we're vegan and our family eats what we like to say is plant forward. Right. And so what that means is like kids eat plant-based at home. If we are out at a restaurant or at a hotel and the choice is like chicken nuggets or like nothing, like, dude, live your best life. Have a chicken nugget. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and many vegans might not, might be very unhappy with me for that. That's your journey. My journey is my kids eat plant-based at home. If they're at a birthday party and all the kids are having pizza, you want a slice, enjoy yourself. But that's our journey. And I've always said to my kids, you can make your own choice. I will give you all the information. I'm not forcing any of this on you. Make your own choice. So my son came to me the other day and he said, mom, um, I made a decision I want to talk to you about. I want to be plant-based, but I decided I want to be vegetarian. I don't want to have dairy, but I want to have eggs, but I want the eggs to only come from cage-free chickens. And here's why. And I just thought that was such a sensible conversation for a seven-year-old to be having. And I was so proud of him. And I said, of course, you can have cage-free eggs. Like, and I'm so proud of you for thinking that through. And he said, I just don't want to do anything that harms animals, but I like the idea of eggs. So like, we're a very open family. I don't force feed any of it down their throat, but these kids ask all the time, oh, is that vegan? Is that healthy? You know, oh, and they'll look at like how other people are eating. Oh, mom, I don't know. I don't know if Jack's eating very healthy. <laughs> yeah. And I just like that they think about it and that they think it's fun, you know? And so yeah. for us, like, my kids will never hear me say, I have to, oh, mom's gained weight. I have to go on a diet. That's just not the narrative around here. Or, oh, mom has to go to work. I hate Mondays. They're going to hear, I get to go to work. I yes. get to show up. I get to, you know, be healthy. Yes. Like, all of that, I really do. I'm sorry if you think it's hokey. For me, it's what I found works as a parent because kids listen and it matters. Okay. I don't think it's hokey at all. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Because with anything, things you have to do, oh God, you just don't want to do it. Yeah. Things you get to do and what it sounds like to me is that you're making everything fun. Like the cooking and eating healthy is fun and you get to do this and it becomes something that you want to be doing. So I love this. I think that's the best advice. I think that's great advice for people wanting to work out. This isn't something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Um, but I love that. And I love kind of the freedom you've given your kids, but not in the way of let me make you seven different meals and see what you like, but the freedom of, hey, you know, you get to choose what you want to do, but you've also guided them to say, hey, this is what we're eating tonight. Yeah. Let's make it Even fun. Even with Halloween candy. Even with Halloween candy. They go, they participate in Halloween and trick or treat. And when they get home, we put all their candy together. They can pick out like two or three things. We donate that candy to like, you know, wherever. And then we, we, you know, they have healthy stuff that we give out. They can swap it out. But that's all, honestly, Ziri, it's their choice. They look yeah. at that, like a Snickers or whatever. And they're just like, you know, I'm not interested because I, I want to treat my body better than that. I swear to God, kids listen. They do. And, and there's a way to make them believe it. And I do think that you have to start young, though, because a lot of my friends who were like, oh, well, you know, 
They, they just, they won't. Well, if they're already eight, nine, 10, 11, it will be tougher. It will right. be tougher. So the younger you can start it, the better. Right. But it's not impossible if they're- It is not impossible. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, this is just such incredible advice. Jamie, before I ask how people can contact you, what would you, if you had three pieces of advice mm -hmm. to give, like, like you literally, you have an opportunity to tell these people three things that you know are going to change their life right now, what would those three things be? Number one, how you do one thing is how you do all things. Yes. Period. And if you get out of bed in the morning and you're just stumbling through your day, it is going to show up in the rest of your work. And this kind of just ladders into the second one because I hear this all the time from women. And this is a big, uh, a big bone I have to pick with, with our narrative. People say, you know, as women, we take care of everyone else and then we forget to take care of ourselves. But I will challenge you. I think a lot of women wear that as a badge of honor. Yes. Oh, I'm such a martyr. Yes, I show up for my family. I'm so busy showing up for my family and my job. I couldn't possibly take care of myself. And they use it as an out. Yes. To not have to show up and take care of themselves. But I promise you, if you don't take care of yourself, you will not be around to take care of your family. If you don't take care of your health, your gut health, your gut health manages your mood the way that your brain is operating. You can't show up and be the best employee if you don't take care of your body. So if you neglect yourself, you are actually neglecting those other things that, you, that you're waving the flag for. Yeah. So showing up for yourself allows you to show up for those other things. And then the third thing I'm just going to reiterate, if there is one secret that you are living in today, one struggle, one secret truth that is holding you back, set yourself free by opening your mouth today not tomorrow, put it on your calendar right now. Go in your calendar, make a date with yourself for a certain time later today. Text the person that you're gonna tell about it. Say, hey, can I talk to you at 3 p.m. today? We have great, we have a date at 3 p.m. I'm gonna hop on the phone with you and you get that thing out of your head. Jamie, you're, you're just such a gift. You're such a blessing to not only everyone listening today, but to this world. And I thank you, your blessing in my life. How can people, connect with you? How can they join the big ask? Just well, yeah, you can always find me on Instagram at NYC fit fam. It's the easiest way to find me and I answer DMS and all of that good stuff. And then the website for the big ask is the big ask method.com. And if you go to that site, you can schedule a consultation with me and I will always take a 15 minute call to introduce anybody who's curious to the program. You're amazing. Thank you, Jamie Hess. Keep shining your beautiful light in this world. Keep doing all the good. Um, such a gift. Thank you for taking the time with me today. And all of my amazing listeners, um, we're grateful that you are listening in. And I'm so grateful that you got the gift of Jamie today. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at Siri Lindley, Facebook Siri Lindley, and Twitter at Seltz, S-E-L-T-S. -E you can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.